0: Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school lesson for January the 30th of 2022. And that means that in this new year, one twelfth of it is already over. And um, time for some of us goes by very quickly. Maybe you're in a situation where it kind of seems to drag by, but nonetheless, it's just a reminder that it is passing and... The Bible talks about that. The world is passing away. Time is going by. And we are closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. So look up and be optimistic. And in the meantime, put into practice these lessons that we've had for January because they'll kind of help you get uh, refocused and established so that this year is a, a fruitful and productive year spiritually for you. And we're going to um, end this series on, um, well, the title, we'll just go to that, Making Worship an Act of Love for Christ. Why would I say that? Because wouldn't worship necessarily imply and include love for Christ? Absolutely. If it's true worship, it, it certainly does. But I think what I'm concerned about and what I want to uh, offer up as a thought, a suggestion uh, to you is maybe answering this question. Is my worship genuine? Is it done out of love for Jesus Christ? Uh, this, is, this is something that I think is very important. And uh, I'm not being accusatory here. I'm just, my observation over decades of ministry has been that a lot of people have the idea that they are worshipers because they go to church. Now, I would agree that a worshiper will go to church. That's a given. But I also am smart enough to know that not all churchgoers are worshipers. Okay? Let me say that again. If you worship, you indeed will go to church. But not all churchgoers are actually worshipers. Do you remember Jesus told us a story about the wheat and the tares? And he said that uh, there's a wheat field that is planted and then the enemy comes and sows tares, some type of uh, weed that looked a lot like the wheat, at least when it was immature. And um, that, that's going to ruin the crop. And uh, so they come and they say, Master, an enemy has sown the tares in the wheat field. And what did the master say? Leave them alone. You can sort them out at the harvest. And that's kind of a picture of what's going to happen even to a lot of church-going folks. There are those who are genuinely born again and love Christ, and they come as an act of worship. But we also have the... um, Mixed multitude, I suppose we'd say. Those people that come out of some kind of a legalistic type thing. They don't come out of love for Christ. They come because they're made to come by maybe their parents or the expectation is that they will come by family or friends or neighbors. um, People like that. And uh, they don't really worship. And uh, uh, my heart really goes out to them because uh, I, too, was once a lost church member. And I have a burden for people like that because I know that they're missing out on not only the blessings of life and the security that believers have down here, but they've got a horrible shock coming whenever they breathe their last and find out that they're not in heaven because they are not a lover of Christ. They haven't repented and put their faith In Christ alone for their salvation and receive the gift of the new birth and the uh, uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the new nature that Jesus gives. And so I want us to talk about worship because I think this benefits both categories of people. It will benefit the lost church member because we're going to talk a little bit about that in here. But I think the exposure to what worship really is can show the difference between where they're supposed to be and where they are. And the Holy Spirit can use that to bring them under conviction and draw them to faith in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But also for those who are truly saved, it's easy to kind of drift. It's easy to kind of get our eyes and our focus off of the Lord. You remember uh, when Jesus is walking on the water, the Apostle Peter said, You know, if you are indeed the Lord, I mean, they were terrified. uh, Bid me to come out on the uh, water with you. And Jesus said, come on. And you remember Peter, while they had his eyes on Jesus, he walked on the water. And some people kind of get on to Peter because he was somebody with little faith. Well, little faith is better than no faith. And the other disciples apparently had next to nothing because they didn't even step out. And you remember that Peter did well while he had kept his eyes on Jesus, but uh, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And I wonder sometimes if a lot of us through our daily lives and the uh, things that we go through, the storms of life that we go through, sometimes we might take our eyes off of Jesus. And uh, yeah, we're faithful and diligent to teach our Sunday school class, but do we really have our eyes on Jesus? We're faithful to attend, but do we have our eyes on Jesus? We're faithful to sing. We're faithful to play an instrument. We're faithful to give our offerings, but are our eyes really on Jesus? And so uh, that's hence the title, Making Worship an Act of Love for Christ. Because if that happened, how different would this next year be? Especially if it's the last year that we have here on earth. We never know, do we? John chapter um, 12, verses 1 through 8, is going to be our focus, and doubtless you're familiar with this story. Um, It's about what Mary did when she came and poured the uh, perfume on the feet of Jesus, and so it's a loving, worshipful, submissive act on her part, and the gift she, and this is not a uh, a frivolous word here that she lavished upon Jesus was uh, about a year's salary for a working man who's uh, back in that day the uh, wage was about one denarius a day. Well, this is 300 denarii, which is plural, that's 300 days' wages. So we're talking about a year, very valuable. And uh, we need to look at this to see what we can learn from her worshipful love. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to John 12, verses 1 through 8, and we'll begin reading. Then six days before the Passover, uh, that's more important than you think it is at uh, first reading. Then six days after the pa- uh, before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Uh, which Bethany is it? Well, it's the one where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he, Jesus, had raised from the dead. And uh, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, we would expect that, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, with Christ. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, notice the words very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But, there's always one of these in every crowd, in every church, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, Not that he cared for the poor. They never do, really. But because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. You can always find somebody to help that's poor, right? But me you do not have always. And um, I'm assuming at that point then that they left her alone. Now, this is not the prostitute or immoral, sinful lady that did something very similar to this earlier in the ministry of Jesus. Because if you'll think about it, that was at the Pharisee's house. This is not. And uh, that was the time when the Lord... Uh, commended the woman and remember the people are sitting around saying if if he knew if he were a prophet he would know not to let this sinful disgusting woman touch him and he knew their thoughts and then he rebuked them because they didn't treat him properly but this woman was and uh, that's a whole different situation this is not a sinful woman this is Mary we've seen Mary and Martha before we have seen them at the time when Jesus is at their house in Bethany and Martha is busy, 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 busy making sure that everything is right and Mary is sitting at his feet. Martha comes out and says, Lord, you know, if you cared, you would um, you know, tell my sister to get back here and help me. And remember Jesus said that Mary has uh, chosen the better part that's why it's not surprising that when Jesus is here at this point, after the uh, raising of Lazarus, just before the Passover, just before his crucifixion, um, he comes there. And what is Martha doing? She's preparing the supper. Uh, that's her gift. That's her thing. And Mary is the one that is pouring the costly oil on his feet. Um, I, I, I don't think that's insignificant. And in this particular story, nobody is commended and nobody is put down. We just all have our part that we have to play. And apparently Martha had her heart right in this situation, where in the previous one, she didn't so much. Well, still, Mary is kind of a a big deal. And Mary is someone that is... uh, Well, the focal point is Jesus, of course, but Mary is... uh, Right behind him, in terms of the way the story or the narrative here reads. And so we can learn some things from her and we can tie them into what worship really ought to be. And it's not just setting and enduring a sermon and, you know, getting things over with and then getting back to normal life. Uh, you don't find anything like that at all. So let's uh, consider these points. Number one, worship is not confined. To special days. Now you can see where I'm going on that because in the introduction I said it's more than just showing up for church. And uh, that's why I think the writer here says that it was six days before Passover. Now that would matter for uh, other reasons as well. One of them would be that um, Passover was a very, very busy and festive time for the Jews and uh, this means that Jesus is catching Mary and Martha and Lazarus at a very busy time of their life. And you'll notice that there was uh, not any kind of thought that, you know, the Lord is annoying them or he's, he and his disciples are kind of horning in on their Passover or taking away from what they want to do. It, it seems as though as we read this, there was just always time for Jesus. I, th- I think that's an important thing too. Another important thing would be John is showing us here, this is very shortly before his crucifixion, okay? Just a few days before Jesus is arrested, uh, betrayed, and arrested, and uh, um, tried, and then sentenced to death. And so this is a kind of a crucial time. And you can see where the Lord's heart is, and you can see some things that uh, we'll reference that in uh, Jesus' response to Judas. And uh, so that's important. But I think it also gives us a clearer understanding that we don't just confine our worship to Jesus when the time, quote unquote, calls for it. It's not just a, a Christmas thing. It's not just an Easter thing. And I might go a little bit further to say, neither is it simply a Sunday thing. And there are a lot of people that come and they worship on Sunday and they're like Pharisees. They're very pious and very religious and they know the songs and they know the rituals and uh, all of those kind of things for Sunday. But then when it comes to the rest of the days, um, not, not so. And so uh, I remember a song one time when I was a kid that they talked about somebody being uh, a saint on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, a saint they ain't, the song said. Well, that's the way a lot of people live. And so they come in on Sunday and they want it to absolve their sin. They want it to clear their conscience. In fact, they even kind of like it if the Preacher sort of beats up on them a little bit. It doesn't really change their life. It just makes them feel better. And it's not really a repentance that they're coming after. It's just kind of taking their whipping so they can go back out and do what they were doing before. Uh, That is so far from worship. It's not even funny. So it's six days before the Passover that this takes place. And I just want to encourage you to make sure that your worship is not just a ritual that you do on a Sunday, but it's something that is a lifestyle for you to live every single day, to live every day for the glory of God, to read his word, to pray, to do good deeds and uh, show the kindness and the mercy of God that you were appointed to in Ephesians 2.10 as a believer so that uh, you are a blessing, that you're salt and light and you're looking for opportunities because worshiping the Lord is more than just singing a song or praying a prayer or giving a gift or sitting through a sermon, gathering with the people. I mean, again, nothing wrong with that, but it's the way that we live. It's the attitude of the heart. It includes thankfulness, the first thing you ought to do when you get up in the morning is tell the Lord, thank you for seeing me through the night. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for the food that I have to eat, the clothes that I have to wear. Thank you for, I mean, the little things. I've got heat on in my house. I'm not waking up and um, freezing to death or anything like that. A jillion things we can thank him for. I think it also includes praising him when you're driving down the road and you see the beauty of nature, to praise him for what he has done. Um, Maybe even when you turn the key in your car and it starts to thank him for the people that made that automobile, for the technology and the wisdom that he's given mankind so that we can have our cars and trucks and airplanes and whatever it may be. I mean, to praise him for all of these things that only he can do. And he is the creator, he's the one that gave humans the skills to do what humans do. No other species does anything like this, and uh, that doesn't come by random chance or evolution, it comes from the Lord himself. You might think about salvation and redemption, how Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, absorbed the wrath of God that really we deserved, and uh, think about all of those things and praise him for that, praise him for your family, praise him for everything that you have and everything that you enjoy in life. And uh, it's, it's a worshipful thing that starts our day, but it doesn't just quit whenever we're finished with our quiet time and um, heading out to work or school or whatever. It's supposed to be something that infiltrates our thoughts at all times, not just the special occasions. So look at that and consider that six days before Passover. Think about the fact that while Jesus would not always be with them, he is always with us through his Holy Spirit, right? And think about how good and wonderful special days are. I mean, don't you enjoy Christmas? And don't you enjoy Easter, especially if the right emphasis is put on it? Don't you enjoy times when we have the Lord's Supper? Don't you enjoy Sundays when we gather to worship? I'm not putting those things down at all. I'm just simply saying that the special days, as good as they are, they're not necessary for worship. And if you have to have candles and dim lights or bright spotlights or you know, whatever it is people do nowadays in order to worship, then you're missing the boat. You're you're missing the call to really be a worshiper. Worship comes from the heart. And th- what the heart contains is the Holy Spirit of God and the new nature that God has given you. And you don't need anything else to be a true worshiper. You take the word of God and you take what Christ has done for you and, and your heart is filled with thankfulness and joy and praise and honor and glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an atmosphere that we're looking for and it's not a special day we're looking for. And worship certainly reminds us of where Jesus found us and how he raised us and how he includes us in his kingdom, in his family, wonderful things like that. And uh, worship does not take its focus on off of Jesus. And that's why I said the main character in this story is Jesus. Mary is secondary. Lazarus is secondary. Martha is secondary. Judas is certainly secondary in all of this. The main thing, don't miss Jesus and who he is. And um, I wonder sometimes if there are people who come to church and they just miss Jesus because they're looking at everything else. They're thinking about everything else. And uh, don't come to church and miss Jesus. Number two, corporate worship reveals the depth of personal worship. And I think sometimes we come into church and the preacher has to get us all revved up. The Minister of Music has to get us to smile and to sing and get us all revved up and moving and engaged and all of that because sometimes we come to worship in church so dry. We're like a dry sponge, so dry. We've got nothing left to give. And we come in here thinking and hoping and praying and pleading that something will happen that will enrich and fulfill our lives. Well, can I just say, what would it be like if... You were to worship every single day this next week, and you would come into the building next Sunday morning that you are so full of God and so full of His joy and so full of His praises that you come in here and you literally gush. Jesus said that those who trust in me, as the scriptures say, that out of their innermost being shall flow rivers. Rivers, not just a trickle, but rivers of living water. You're an artesian well, in other words. So don't come to church dry and wrung out and worn out. Be a worshiper. And when I look at this, going down to verse 3, here they are having this dinner, and um, Jesus is the honored guest and Lazarus is with him. And you know there are people there curious about Lazarus too. And it says, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Where'd she get that? Well, she didn't run down to the corner store to a 7-Eleven or anything. She already had it. Was she um, thinking about doing this for Jesus all along? Now that I don't know. But it could be. It could be that she had already purchased this with the idea that she was going to do this whenever Jesus came for this particular supper. She might have done that. She might have already had it on hand. It might have been a gift given to her uh, by someone else. Uh, A lot of times these very costly things would be given when a woman got married. We don't know if she was married or not. She probably wasn't. She might have been. We don't know. Um, It might have been a gift from her father. It might've been something that was kind of a family heirloom because it was so expensive. Nonetheless, she had it and was ready when Jesus got here. And I think the idea that we want to stress out of these verses is the readiness, the readiness. Are you ready to worship when you come to church? Do you make yourself ready for worship every single day, and does your heart overflow with worship like it did with Mary? Mary just couldn't do anything else, and so she anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair, and uh, says the house is filled with the fragrance of the oil. So this is not something that was prescribed. You wouldn't find this in the book of Leviticus, for example. This is not something that says, and on the sixth day before Passover, thou shalt take thine costly oil and anoint it on the feet of thy Messiah. Or It's not anything like that. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Um, this is more of a reflection of her heart. And I think that if in our church worship, if our prayers and our singing and our response to the Word of God were a reflection of what is already in our heart, I think there would be a dynamic that uh, couldn't be explained by anything but God, and there would be a joy and a power and a, a moving and a motivation like we've never seen before. And so this is an expression of her love and also of her reverence. Boy, we have lost a lot of reverence for the Lord in this day and age, haven't we? And so, uh, again, this is not, uh, or uh, pardon me, this is the same Mary that chose the better part in Luke chapter 10. And so we find her worship being extravagant, humbling. She wasn't really exalting herself here. She's, uh, you know, to be under a table anointing someone's feet, and wiping it with your hair, that's not exactly the preeminent position. She didn't try to take over the place where Lazarus was sitting. She's on her feet before the Lord, and uh, she is anointing his feet. But it's also impactful. Impactful. And we tend to think sometimes if we can't be a leader, if we can't be in charge, if we can't be bold and brash and have everybody's attention, then we don't really make any impact. And yet in the Bible so many times it's the humble people behind the scenes who make the impact, and that certainly is the case here. Number three, the lost church member prioritizes social work above worship. I mean, you know, there's got to be one because there is one in every crowd. And it says in verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas, and uh, John wants us to be very clear about who this is. Not a true disciple, but the one who is lost. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, and in case you're not real clear on that, the one who would betray him said, why was not this fragrant oil Sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And then we find out that he said that not because he cared for the poor, but he cared for himself. And this is something that, well, it's hard to swallow. There are people who come to church and they really don't care about Jesus being honored and exalted, they want to be honored and exalted. Meet my needs. Do something for me. Make me feel better. That kind of thing that's the cry of their heart. And that's really what Judas was doing because John tells us, even though he uh, put the outward cover of, I'm concerned for the poor. Why didn't we do this? He really wanted it for himself, didn't he? Put the money in the money box. That's more for me to pilfer. That's more for me to steal. And so the focus for Judas is not on Christ, not on his worship, but it's on himself. And uh, you'll find that there are a lot of people that go to church and they don't really get very excited about the cross. They don't get excited about the resurrection. They don't get excited about the return of Christ. They don't get excited about witnessing, giving, praying, any of those kind of things, and especially not preaching. You know what they get excited about? Well, if I could do something for somebody that is physical and temporary, then I'll get excited about that. And if you could probe down into their heart, pass the thing, well, I just love people. Well, I just care about people. Well, I just can't stand to see people doing without. I don't doubt that. But if you could go deeper into their heart, you know what they would say? It makes me feel good. It makes me look good in front of other people, and I get a buzz whenever I do this kind of stuff, and that's where their thrill really is because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords a Messiah, the Savior, the propitiation for our sins. They don't know him as anything like that, and so that's where Judas, the betrayer, is. All he could see was a material part of it. And while he claimed to care about the people, it really was that he cared about himself. And he looked at this and all he saw was dollar signs. You know anybody in the church that whenever the church does something or spends something or fixes something or hires somebody, all they see is ching the dollar sign. You know, our God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He's never been hung up about all of that, but some people are. And so uh, Judas says what he says, trying to be spiritual, but it's done with a selfish, not a worshipful agenda. And then number four, let's keep in mind from this story, there are some opportunities, some experiences that cannot be duplicated. You know, I'm glad that we have online capabilities and archive videos of our services so that if somebody is sick or traveling or something like that, they can keep up with us. And some people do that with our Sunday school lessons. And that's, that's very, very good. But don't ever let that become a substitute for coming to church. Because sometimes you may hear about something that happened here and people say, oh, it was great. You've got to go back and watch it. Well, I hope you do. But I will say this, watching it will not be the same as being here. There are experiences that cannot be duplicated. What what happened here? Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. So some experiences can be duplicated. It's always a good time to help the poor. But did you notice what he said? But you won't always have me. This was a one-time thing that had it not been done right then, it wouldn't have been done. If Mary said, I'll do this next week, it never would have happened. This was something that was supposed to happen then. And folks, we just got to understand that we have divine appointments in our life. That, that, that opportunity you had to witness yesterday may not come back to you, at least not That situation with that person, that opportunity to give and to help somebody, it may be gone by the time you get around to it. We've got to remember these things and that experience that the church had. If you're not here, you may never have that same experience. This is something that Jesus said, leave her alone because she has kept this for the day of my burial. I want you to think what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be crucified. They're going to take him down from the cross because the next day is a Sabbath. They hastily wrap him up and put some spices on him and put him in the tomb. Then after the Sabbath, what were the women coming to do on the first day of the week to finish anointing him for his burial? And what did they find? He was gone. That opportunity was gone. Well, thank God it had already been done because somehow Mary, motivated by her love for the Lord, did what the women on Sunday morning were not going to be able to do. She's done this for the day of my burial. And that's really a blessing to know that Mary didn't realize exactly what she was doing, but Jesus did. And everything was taken care of and everything was lawful. Everything was according to the custom. And uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, but he had already been pre-anointed, we'll say, for his burial. And uh, that was something that was not going to be a repeated experience. That was a one-time thing. You have me with you now. This is the time to do it. You can always help the poor, but Jesus would not be there for this to happen or for anyone else to ever have opportunity again. And the MacArthur Study Bible talks about the uh, giving gifts to the poor or not giving gifts to the poor <clears throat> and makes this statement, this does not mean that we should not, uh, let me back up here, that alms, that's the word, should not be distributed to the poor. That's commanded, for example, in Deuteronomy 15, 11, but was a reminder that while the poor would remain, Jesus would not always be with them. And he gives some references on that. And Ron Dunn, he said this when he preached on this particular passage. Mary did what she could. Notice she poured the oil of spikenard on his feet. And Jesus didn't say, how come you didn't bring something else? Because that's what she had. Do what you can do all that you can. She poured it all out on his feet and the fragrance filled the entire house and then uh, do it now. So do what you can, do all that you can and do it now. That's a pretty good motto, isn't it? And if you have a worshipful heart, that'll ring true with you and you'll want to do that for the Lord. Lord, I want to do what I can. And I want to do all that I can. And I don't want to waste time. I want to do it now. If you don't have a worshipful heart, that'll just annoy you and bug you that I would even say that. What do you want? More of my time? More of my money? More of my life? And uh, look, I don't want any of that. But Jesus wants all of it, doesn't he? And so we'll just conclude here by saying this year could be radically and entirely different in a good way if worship would be a lifestyle, if personal worship filled your heart so that it overflowed in corporate worship, if love for Christ was a priority and fueled our good works, and if we were quick to honor Christ and not miss out on opportunities so that we don't have a life filled with regret saying, well, if only I had known, and if only I had done this, well, I would have done it sooner if, and all of that. God's got the perfect timing down for everything that we do. Let's just simply let the Holy Spirit fill us and control us so that we don't skip or miss opportunities and experiences that we could have with God and with other people for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let that be our focus. Well, I appreciate the time that you've taken to Uh, Watch this video or listen to this audio as the case may be. God bless you teachers as you teach your classes. And for those of you who are watching this to stay up, good job. And uh, thank you so much for doing that. And I pray that this will impact your life in a very meaningful and powerful way for the glory of our King. God bless you and thank you once again.